welcome to the Pearl House podcast. I'm Courtney Bullard, and I am so excited about our guest today. And it is just an honor and a privilege. And I am thrilled that we get to spend some time with the amazing author and speaker, Abby Dare. And she'll say her name so much better than I will, but I am just, I just want to welcome you and say thank you. And Um, She is an award-winning author of the book, The Girl with the Louding Voice, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that today and get to know you. So welcome, Avi. We're so excited that you're here today. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor. Well, I would love just our listeners to get to know you better and to hear the story behind this book. And I have so many questions. And so thank you for joining us. Um, I'm just going to jump in. So you won the Bath Novel Award in 2018. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So the the competition came to me while I was doing my master's degree. I was doing a creative writing master's. I had been writing for many years and I I think I needed a validation about my writing. Everyone around me who loved me, so family members who love me, have told me that I could tell stories but I still felt that I needed some sort of validation. So I went ahead and did this um, master's in creative writing. And um, during the course, my one of my lecturers suggested that I put in the manuscript. So the girl with the louding voice I had written about, I think I'd nearly finished it at that time, and just to put it in for a competition. And I went in for this because it was judged anonymously. So I wasn't very confident of my own writing abilities <laughs> I avoided anything that required me to put my name down or to show my face. I went in for this safe competition, hoping that at least I would get a nod or, you know, get somewhere with it. So it came as an absolute surprise when out of 1,700 or so people, manuscripts, my The Girl with the Louding Voice won. And, and from then on, the story, the book just took off. It got, it got it attracted interest of publishers and um, here we are today. Wow. Well, and I want to say that those that if you've not read the story, this book is just phenomenal and the writing and we're going to talk more about it, but I cannot say enough great things about it. And one thing uh, I was sharing with you earlier is that I think it's truly amazing how there's so many parallels with our girls at the Pearl House and just I love seeing how things are brought together. Um, but I first, I want to know, have you always had a heart for writing? I have. I My mom recently, I'm quite close to my mother, but she recently brought a family album um, over to, to, to England to visit me. She lives in Nigeria. And, and I looked at it and it was, apparently when I was about five years old, I took apart our family album because I felt that there wasn't enough storytelling in there. So I wrote out speech on pieces of paper and I stuck it on the images in the album. So that's how much I love to write and tell stories. I'd always been one who would express myself in diaries and journals and just through letters. I just love to do that. And it followed me out of Nigeria. When I came to UK as a student, I started to blog about my experiences as um, coming into a new culture and a new environment. And that really took off as well. And it's just something I, I, I do because I love to do it. Wow. So you're originally from Nigeria. I am. And then where are you living currently? So I live in England. I've lived in England for the last 22 years. I live in a a town called Essex in England, which is fun. (laughs) fun (laughs) It sounds like fun. Does it feel like home? (laughs) 
it's interesting you ask that question because um, there are times it feels like home and there are times I, I question and I wonder where home really is. Mm. Wow. Well, the book, The Girl with the Louding Voice, it came out or officially was published February 2020. Is that correct? Yes. So first, I want to know that came out right before the pandemic. So what was that like to have it released? Was it already in the hands of readers at that point? What was that process like? (laughs) So the book came out in the UK and the US. So it came out in the US first to be flown over to onto the Today Show to, to meet the lovely Jenna Bush Hager to talk about my book. So it was, I went in on a high, you know, it was like, wow, this is incredible. I remember on the flight back thinking it's going to be a huge hit in the UK and all of that. And I, I got back to the UK and we had the launch in the UK, uh, the 5th of March. And then the week after we went into lockdown. And I remember thinking, well, it's only going to last three days. And after that, I have, because I had so many events planned. I had, I had a book tour planned out. So the whole, I mean, as a debut author, that's all you look forward to talking about your book. And then one week went into, became two years. I spent the entire duration of my book. I never got to see my book out in in a bookstore um, at all. I think until much, much later. So it was, I had uh, a part of me felt very disappointed, but I also questioned why should I feel disappointed? Because I've waited for this all my life and it has happened. And however it has happened, I'm grateful for it. So it was a bit of mixed feelings. But I'm thankful that the book has been so well received. that It doesn't feel like I lost out that much on what I thought I would lose out on. Wow. So from start to finish, how long was the process of writing this book? Yeah. So the very first draft, um, because I was writing very quickly, um, I'm writing in Adunis' voice and the moment I anchored and I got that voice, I didn't want to let it go. And so that meant that I had to stay in that zone for as long as I could. And so that meant not reading anything else in standard English and just trying to think like I don't know would be thinking. So I could only do that for so long. So the very first draft was like a regurgitation. It was a quick one. Well, in the life of a writer for me, it was about six to eight months. And then once I had that foundation, it then took another sort of a year and a half. So altogether, I think about about two to two and a half years from idea to actual finish. So when I made an idea, I mean, the very first time I thought I will write this book. Wow. Okay. so I'm dying to know what inspired you to write this book. Tell us that. So I, I think it was a number of things. First of all, it was growing up in Lagos, in Nigeria. Um, Lagos is a city, for those I don't know, in West Africa, a very, very bustling and noisy city. And I lived in, I'll call it a middle-class environment. And what that meant was around me, there's a lot of mothers who went to work. And so because they went to work, many of them needed to, to have housemates. So, you know, sort of like young boys, old girls, I came to work for those families including my family. Um, There was the norm. Everybody was doing it and still do it. Now, what I found quite disturbing at that time was the fact that many of these girls and boys were not educated. So while I'll get up, get up and get dressed and go off to my boarding school or my day secondary school, these girls would stay at home. I'll say girls in this instance, they would stay at home and do the chores. And sometimes many of these children were not very well treated. So you would hear, I've heard, housemates being beaten or abused or even getting missing like they would they would disappear and no one would care about them and be replaced very quickly and so I had a lot of questions that I wanted to ask but because I grew up in a society where you don't dare question the adults 
I internalized those questions and I left Nigeria and, you know, I, I thought I forgot about it. I mean, I would visit and remember, but it, it just kept on staying inside of me without me really bringing it out until one day, I think about maybe 20 years or so after I left Nigeria so, or 19 years. Now I'm a mother. Now I have two children. Now I have an eight year old daughter who is not very far from the age that you would find uh, working as a housemaid in Nigeria. And so we had a conversation where I asked her very politely to help with the dishwasher and she threw a tantrum and didn't want to hear it and didn't want to do it. And so I went into my lecture mommy mode and I said, look, you are very privileged, right? There are many girls like you who are working for families that, you know, and they don't get paid and life can be really hard for them. And my daughter asked me, she said, mom, why? Why would anyone send their daughter to be a maid? Would you ever send me to be a maid? And that really got me thinking because it was the very first time I wondered why, who are these girls? What is their story? When I think back at, to all the maids that we had growing up, apart from knowing their very first name, I don't think I recall anyone's surname or date of birth or favorite toys or what even they wanted out of life. Now, I know that about my own daughters. I want the best for them. And so my question was, who are these girls? What do they want out of life? What do they sound like and what is their voice? And so that led me to writing The Girl with the Louding Voice. It was, it was a journey of discovery for me. Wow. Well, and I, I, we've, I've talked to you about how there's so many similarities to even our girls at the Pearl House and how some of them thought they were maybe were coming. They didn't know Pearl House and that they were coming maybe to be a housemaid. And so the title of your vo- of the book, The Girl with the Louding Voice, it really strikes a chord in my heart. And so I would love to know from you, like how, how did that title come to be? I think there's a lot of things about this book that I, I think is sort of all divine because when I was writing the story, I had, I didn't have an idea of what the title would be. I'd written it and, and somewhere in the book, Adonai has to write an essay to, to get into a competition so she can get a, an education. And, um, the, the title of the essay at that time was The Girl with the Louding Voice. But at the time, it, it didn't even click to me that that should be the title of the book. And so I finished the book and I titled it The Nobody Girl. But then something said to me, well, she's not a nobody. Abby, you've written this entire book to tell everyone she's not a nobody and you're titling it The Nobody Girl. And so all of a sudden, it just dropped into my spirit, The Girl with the Louding Voice. And I thought that's exactly who she is. I wasn't thinking about it when I wrote it, but looking at her journey, who she is, the kind of attitude she has towards life, the hope and the dreams and the resist- resilience that she has. She is the girl with the louding voice and we all have a louding voice. There's something inside every one of us that is crying to be heard that carries greatness. Wow. So I just can't help but wonder, do you maybe identify a little bit with her as the main character? Maybe a bit. I mean, she's everything that I wish I could be in terms of her attitude, her, her forgiven spirit, her ability to see the good in everything. Um, I think the only part that, that I would say resonates is the fact that I wasn't ready to give up on my writing dreams. I believed I had something important to say and I was going to give it my all, but I think that's where the similarities ended. Um, Adunay is such a force and such an inspiring character. I, I Even I look up to her. Wow. So I'm just wondering, how, how did you learn to write in the way that she speaks? Because when I'm reading this book, it has some even broken English a little bit. Like you really, you get into the character and you feel like you're in her shoes as you're reading it or listening to it, you know, however you're 
indulging it. And so how did you learn to just write in the way that she speaks? I think that was that was a decision I made um, when I wanted to write the story. I knew I wanted to write it in her own voice in first person. But I also knew that writing as myself, so using standard English as me, who is very educated, I felt it would be unfair and it would do a disservice to the girl that I was writing about. And so the only way for me to, to create a voice that I felt would be authentic was to think about the girls that I knew growing up. And many of them had their own way of navigating the English language because they were coming into English from their own mother tongue, they've tended to translate a literal translation of their mother tongue and mother language into English. Now, I speak Yoruba. Yoruba is my mother language. And so when you do a translation of that into English, a literal translation, it kind of sounds a bit funny. So I'll give you an example. If I were to tell you that I had a headache in Yoruba, I would say Orin for me. Now, if you literally translate that, it translates to my head is breaking me. And so my the way I wrote the book wasn't doing that. So I thought Aduni would think in Yoruba, but she would express herself in English because she's desperate to learn this language. And so there was that. There was a bit of broken English, pidgin English, which is which West Africans and Africans know a lot about. But there was also my daughter who was two years old at that time, which is interesting because she was born in the United Kingdom. She speaks English. She doesn't speak Yoruba at all. But she was coming to English for the very first time, which meant that she was forming words and making them up as she went about the house. So words like tomorrow after tomorrow came from her and a few other things that Adunis said. So I'll walk around the house with her with a pen in hand and anything she said that I thought was funny or smart or ingenious, I would write it down or use it in the book. So it was it was a confluence of those different sources. Wow. OK, I love that. And, you know. <laughs> One of the things I think in the book, too, is just how the main character really doesn't have a form of education, but how, in, you know, the, how just important it is. And I know that's your heart, too, of just really influencing education and how it makes a difference. And we at the Pearl House, we always you know, tell that you educate a girl, you change a nation. And so um, that's just one thing that I've seen. And that's our heart and hope is that as we're educating our girls at the Pearl House, that they truly will not only change their families, their communities, but their nation. And so I would love just to hear how you would answer the question of, you know, how does educating a girl maybe affect the country as a whole? Like even in Nigeria or wherever you are, whenever a girl receives education, how, how do you feel like that might affect the country as a whole? I think if I look at my own, my own example, so this is me in my own little corner and I had the opportunity to be educated, not just educated. My mother, who raised my brother and I, she really imbibed. Look, Abby, I'm giving you everything I can, your education. Now you take it and run with it because when everything else is gone, all you have left is what's in your head. And I remember I took that and I know that I poured my heart into everything I wanted to do. Now, education allows you, allows me to be able to make independent decisions, informed decisions, to make conversations, to create things, to invent things, to be who I want to be, to affect policies. So it's especially when you look at a woman who understands what it is to be a girl, who understands the girl child, the issues surrounding the girl child, particularly in Africa. And you have that woman who has the power and the grace and the privilege of education. Now think about what she would do if she's giving an opportunity to roll 
the nation, the kind of laws that she put in place, the kind of decisions she would make. And all of this comes from the fact that she had an opportunity to be educated. And so when people say to me, oh, Abby, getting an education does not always mean you make you make a lot of money. I say, forget about money. Think about wealth and think about change, the positive change you can make. And that's where education comes from, comes in. Wow. So good. Amen. So <laughs> I know the story is fiction, but I would love to know for you to share, where did you draw upon to create the characters and the storyline. Like I know you're from Nigeria, but there's so many details of her story and her journey of her life and the story. I would, I would just love for you to share a little bit about that. I think that, you know, fiction is an extension of reality. Um, in fact, a lot of fiction is, is reality. Um, many of the characters came from people I'd seen around me and taking them. So what I tend to do is I say, I'm looking at my husband as an example. I'm looking at my husband and thinking he's lovely. He's calm. He's quiet but I could take him and then give him a completely different nature and a different character. And I'm, I'm basing it on him, but he's not really quite him. And that's how I wrote. So I'll give you an example with the louding voice. There was a woman that I remember seeing, um, I think he was in church or somewhere and she had the most outrageous headgear, which you call gilly. You know, it was just, it blocked, like we couldn't see the front or we couldn't see the pastor in front and her makeup was, oh my goodness. Like it felt like her eyebrows were thick and that image that it's I couldn't I can never forget that image. And so when I came to writing Big Madame, I thought, oh, I'm going to use you, dear woman. <laughs> and I, I don't even know what her name is, you know, but it was just the fact that that image stuck in my head that day. And I thought she would fit Big Madame's image. And I used that. Aduni, as an example, is I, I remember one young girl who worked for one of the families near where I lived and she had the most beautiful bright eyes I can never forget her eyes because they were really large and really white eyeballs and she had really white teeth and low-cut hair and she was very very mischievous she got into trouble all the time with a woman who, who who hired her and she'll get beating and through the beating she'll keep laughing like she was always laughing and I, I didn't understand it and she inspired me because she was just a really happy person and so when I was writing Aduni's story I thought of this late this really young girl I'm sure she's in her 40s now but I thought of her and I thought I would use a bit of you so that's how we it works for me as a writer is I take bits and pieces and then I use my imaginative power and recreate characters that I hope will be engaging or to pass the message across. Wow. I would love just to get into your mind one day, just here to see how it works. <laughs> it's just fantastic. So I think we all, I mean, I know after reading this book and we, I have given your book to people, I have suggested it because it does paint a picture of helping, I think, even those that are part of the Pearl House to have a better understanding of, you know, this is a lot of our girls' story, or it could be their story uh, without Pearl House. And so I would love to know, is there another book coming soon? <laughs> that's, that's an interesting question. I'm trying to, but it's going to be very different from the girl with the louding voice. I mean, there's only one girl with the louding voice. Um, <laughs> okay, well, I'm anxiously waiting. So just keep me posted. <laughs> so that's exciting. Well, okay. So I would love to know, have your girls, you have daughters, have they read this story? And if not, like, when do you feel like it's an appropriate time for them to read it? Um, my daughter is currently 13. The eight-year-old is, she can't read it yet, but the 13-year-old is just on the cusp of reading it. Um, she, but because we, I wrote the book with her in the sense that she was eight and now she's, you know, she's 13 and we've been going through the journey together. She kind of knows most of what happened apart from obviously the more adult stuff. 
And she's like, okay, I'm going to read it one day just because I think it's interesting, but not because she wants to know what happened in the book because she she knows it. We she she feels very proud that she inspired. That's wonderful. Wow. So you've so I have a daughter who's 13 as well. And so I'm just wondering as a mom, if you know, when is that time? Because I want her to read it, but uh, but it sounds like she might be on the cusp of reading it as well. So yeah. I, I think that, 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 that when I when I go to secondary schools to speak, I find that the fourteen year olds it's required reading material for many fourteen year olds. So I th- I think it's just around the corner. I say to to Dara, but that's my daughter's name. It's just around the corner. Just give it a, a few more months. Yes, yes. Okay, good to know. Okay, I'm taking that piece of information <laughs> away. So, what would you say maybe to the girl who hasn't found her voice yet and hasn't felt that sense of empowerment that it sounds like both you and I are wanting to instill in girls all over the world. So what would you say to that girl that maybe hasn't found her voice yet? Well, I think I would say that there's something in everyone. And I really believe that, that we're all created for a very special, special purpose. And that you have to find that thing and believe that it's there. And it's often the things that you enjoy doing the most and things that come naturally to you. And it's really just tapping and looking within and trying to find it and nurture it. And even if you feel that no one is going to listen to you, I always say to my daughters, I say to them that even if it's a whisper in a quiet room, that whisper is still loud. And so whisper if you have to, but just keep going at it. And you will face a lot of obstacles and things will come at you that want to discourage you. But be be persistent because eventually you will be fine and you will shine. So I think it's just really, they need to believe that there's something special in them. Wow. That's a good word. That's a really good word. So how do people find your book? If they're hearing about this for the first time, which I cannot say enough, go buy this book today and read it. It is so good. Um, Abby, how, how do they find your book? How do they get in touch with just who you are? And tell us, tell us a little bit more about that. So I've, the book is sold everywhere where books are sold right now. Um, it's I, it's also in about 16 languages. So they, language is not a barrier right now, well, at least some languages. And um, I'm, a, I'm, on, I'm on Instagram. I, I try to be active, a lot more active these days than I was. I'm there as Abby Diary author and um, not as much as I'd love to be on Twitter, but I'm really there on Instagram and, and on my website as well. I'm Abby Diary author. Wow. Okay. Did you say 16 languages? Yes. Wow. How long did that take to translate? I don't know. I find it very fascinating because I obviously I can't speak the languages, but I find it so fascinating when I when I when I get a note that it's going to be translated into German or Dutch or uh, Chinese. You know, I've got some copies here behind. I could show it to you if you want to see, but it's it's very interesting. But yes, they've done it. Some geniuses have done it and they've done a great job at it. That is amazing. What does that feel like as an author to know your book is all over the world? What does that feel like? It's the most priceless, priceless feeling ever. I I don't think I can ever get over it. Um, I'm so grateful, so thankful, thankful to God and thankful to all our readers who have read the book and loved it and shared it. I'm, yeah, it's changed my life in many ways. Wow. Well, if you ever find yourself in the U.S. and especially Oklahoma, 
uh, be sure to stop by. <laughs> You're always welcome. And in Ghana, maybe we'll meet up in Ghana one day. Yes, that'll be great. I would love for you to come meet the pearls and just what an inspiration you are. I mean, to not only young girls, but to women all over the world. And so I just want to say thank you for using your voice in such a powerful way and speaking into lives of women all over the world and how I love how God's using your book to do that. And so we just pray many blessings over you and your family and continue success for this book, The Girl with the Louding Voice, and for the next one to come and the next and the next, however many more there'll be. Um, but it's just an honor to spend time with you today. And I just know that, that we're here at the Pearl House, we're reading you on and cheering you on and um, hope for just the continued success for you. Thank you so much. You're such, you're such, you're such a light. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your time with me. Oh, absolutely. Well, again, if you have not had a chance, the opportunity to read this book, The Girl with the Louding Voice, um, I encourage you to do so and to tell your friends and family and to help spread the word for it. But it really, you know, I see just how I can't wait for my daughters to read it as a mom, but also it just um, resonates so well with what we're trying to accomplish with the Pearl House. And so anyways, again, thank you for your time today. And um, and again, go check out Abby and follow her on all the social media. And um, and we're just so, so inspired by you. So thank you again for being here today. Thank you for having me. Okay. And we will see all of you next week with another amazing Pearl House story. Thank you for listening to the Pearl House podcast. If you'd like to know more about how you can make a difference, visit thepearlhouse.org.